I'm Miles Stokes. And I'm Anna Sheffy, filling in for Jay Edidin. And we are here to normally explain the X-Men. But right <laughs> now, this being Hawk Talk, what we do on our fourth week, an unedited, mostly unplanned, we haven't really thought it through kind of episode about random stuff. Uh, yeah, that's what we're here for right now. Uh, and as Anna just mentioned, Jay is traveling through the negative zone right now. So, listeners, I would love to introduce you to Anna Sheffy. My fiance, Anna, thank you so much for being here on Hawk Talk. You're very welcome. I'm so excited to talk about hawks today. Yes, yes, absolutely, <laughs> literally hawks. <laughs> so this is your first time on a podcast at all, right? That is absolutely correct. I uh, have never even tried to be on a podcast before. Well, I'm so happy to have you here. How are you feeling about the whole thing? I mean, a little nervous. Like, you know, I got some of the hot hot and cold sweats on different sides of the body thing going on. It's hard to say whether that's nerves or, like, period stuff, but I'm here for all of it. So let's experience the world, man. Excellent. Yes, in all of its various glories. <laughs> so normally on Hawk Talk, when Jay and I have done it, we have picked, like, a genre of media or sometimes an exceedingly random topic like we did vegetables once. And so, Anna, you and I were thinking about kind of what we could talk about, and uh, I think we, we settled on a topic pretty quickly, right? <laughs> we did, yeah, pretty easily. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I feel like everyone has had their quarantine project, you know, mm-hmm. during our, our pandemic, I would say year, but year and change, year yeah. and to be continued. Um, you did make some excellent sourdough. I uh, did. I did a lot of like really tiny tie-dye products or projects by stealing rose petals from our neighbor's yards. That was super fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if there's one <laughs> thing we probably spent the most cumulative time on... It would be Resident Evil. Yes. So, <laughs> listeners, we got really into the Resident Evil video game series, and uh, I feel like we should uh, we should specify the video game series because there are also the what is it, Paul W S Anderson and Mia Jovovich movies. Oh God, there's so many of them, and no, we don't want to do those. I uh, mean, we'll probably do them, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we, we got really into the games, of which there are approximately one million. In fact, exactly one million games. Mm-hmm. That many. Yes. Uh, and I feel like that's kind of been a thing we've done throughout the many years of our relationship, is introducing each other to various media, and then sometimes getting way the hell more into that media together. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I know I got you into Star Wars very early in our relationship. It was clear to me that that, that needed to happen. Because it's it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, I feel like that was an important test that you put me through. I mean, you know, there was no <laughs> passing or failing, but I'm just saying it. It worked out very well, and I'm pleased. Absolutely. Uh, and you've introduced me to so much disturbing shit, Yay. some of which was David Lynch, but not all. Right, certainly. I mean, what was the first movie we went to see in a theater? It was a nunsploitation film. It was. It was very dark and disturbing, and I still I still shudder a little thinking about <laughs> Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um... And so Resident Evil, I don't think it was ever really the plan for that to become, like, one of our things, was it? No, we had talked about it on and off. Um, I don't know if I ever told you that my first um, experience with Resident Evil was actually just to know a person who had specifically a Resident Evil live journal, uh, where she only talked about Resident Evil and posted, like, uh, various stories about it and fan fictions and things. Um, but previous to us playing, that was the only thing I really knew about it. You've never told me that. I, <laughs> I mean, we've, we've been together for many years, and so I'm always very excited when we learn a, th- a new thing about one another. Uh-huh. 
wow, Live Journal, that really does date that whole experience. It does, yeah. So, you know, itchy, tasty is very much a prominent part of my my kernel of the beginning knowledge for it. Okay, and uh, we'll, we'll probably get to that over the course of this episode. Yep. So before we proceed much further, um, I do want to sort of do an overview of how we're going to handle this. So I know, obviously, like Jane Miles Explained the X-Men is a comics podcast in general and an X-Men podcast in particular. And Hawk Talk, of course, has never really been that. The whole point of Hawk Talk is that we talk about things that are not X-Men. But I know that this is a little more specific than Hawk Talk has gotten in the past. (laughs) So our goal here, I think, is to talk about this series in a way that will actually be interesting for people who are not intimately uh, knowledgeable of the whole thing, uh, just to sort of talk in general terms about why this goofy-ass series is important to to us. Mm-hmm. So, where do we even start <laughs> with, with Resident Evil? Uh... I mean, we can profess our love for Barry Burton. We can. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, so Barry Burton is a character in the series who, uh, in the early entries... Uh, really did personify the truly atrocious voice acting mm-hmm. that characterized Resident Evil. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll be examining this. I hope this is not Chris's blood. <laughs> he's he's an amazing beardy goofball. Uh, later in the series, he comes back once they realize that hiring voice actors to voice act is a good idea, and they turn his cheesy lines into dad jokes, essentially. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it, it works super well. Yep. I love him a great awesome deal. Awesome down-vested dad jokes carrying really big guns. That's yep. Barry's deal. Yeah. yeah. So Resident Evil, so it's a series overall in which various and assorted badasses get in over their heads fighting zombies and mutants created by bioweapons themselves made by evil organizations, <laughs> mostly one called Umbrella Corporation, but also various other ones. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the formula of every game in the series. We have different protagonists, we have different versions of the virus, we have different evil bio-corporations working on the virus, but it's kind of a formulaic thing. Like, how would you describe sort of the general Resident Evil formula? Um, basically, people come in to handle a zombie outbreak. Um, those people usually have a, a lot of military training and a lot of guns. Um, there are explosions and um, a lot of enraged yelling. Um, there are a lot of puzzles uh, and really cryptic dialogue at times. Um, we have lots of mansions that are sort of versions of versions of versions of the same mansions. Um, and then we have more explosions and also intense mutation. Yes, yes, all of these things. Yes, absolutely. Uh, underground layers, too. Don't forget underground layers. Very important. Yeah. And I don't know, like, that sort of formulaic uh, aspect of Resident Evil, I think, for me at least, is why it sort of feels like video game comfort food. Mm -hmm. You know what you're going to get in a Resident Evil game. (laughs) And yes, it will be sort of gross and disturbing, but in such a campy way, for the most part, not entirely, that it's it's fine. Like, it's not going to keep you up at night. It's just going to make you go, (laughs) that guy's head exploded. (laughs) The games got a lot more serious as we went on, or at least they took themselves more seriously. Um, But I I don't feel like they got over the top with that. They still understood what they were for the most part. But exactly. Yeah, campy as hell to start with. Oh yeah. And and often self-aware about that. And that's that's part of the fun. Like so video game wise, I mean, listeners, I've made no secret that video games are my my other big hobby aside from comic <laughs> books. 
For horror, I'm all about me some Silent Hill, it's my favorite video game series, but alas, that series is thoroughly dead and buried, and so having something like this that just keeps going forever and in fact is going through kind of a, a, a renaissance these days is is comforting. There's always going to be more Resident Evil. There are always going to be more evil scientists <laughs> making terrible decisions to create a virus with a certain letter in its name, the A virus, the C virus, the T virus. And it's always going to get out of their control. They're never going to be able to keep uh, their kind of hold on it as much as they like. It's always going to get out and hurt more people than they intended, but be great for data collecting and also for selling as a bioweapon. Yes, clearly. exactly. Uh, and yet somehow as this occurs over and over and over, uh, the world doesn't really notice very much. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of, I mean, honestly, the Marvel Universe in some ways. Like, mm. we know that there's some gigantic crisis basically every week, especially if you live in New York City. Like, mm. good luck not having your apartment building be destroyed approximately every 24 hours in New York City. Yes. And yet people live very normal lives and typically don't worry too much about it. Mm -hmm. And same thing in Resident Evil. I mean, yes, half the population has been wiped out by assorted zombie apocalypses over 25 years. And but... it has definitely been on the news many times, even within the movies and the games and things like that. But still nobody seems to talk about it afterwards. Like, life is just normal. This is fine. That happened over there. What do we care about over there? Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, that's part of the comfort food. It's it's so episodic. It's it's always like an X-Files Monster of the Week episode. You know? Um, there is an overarching plot, but A, it doesn't really make a ton of sense. Uh -uh. Uh, and B, that's not really the point. Yeah, well, and it changed sort of so many times throughout the series of games where it's like, this is what we want to make everything look like now. This is the plot. Well, <laughs> just kidding. This is actually the plot now. Let's just go somewhere else with it. Like, why would we bother continuing through the whole thing along a clear storyline? Exactly. Nah. Uh, so a side note just about us recording right now. For one thing, again, I'm so excited to finally have you on the show and to introduce <laughs> you to the listeners. Uh, but also something I'm noticing uh, this first time I'm recording live with somebody in quite a while, I haven't ever met a podcaster who talks with their hands as much as I do, <laughs> and now it turns out I have. There are so many reasons I'm glad we're in a relationship, and apparently this is another one. It's a it's a faded match, Miles. <laughs> ah, which I guess is also appropriate because the Resident Evil series, the early games, mm -hmm. before they could animate, you know, characters' mouths moving because it yeah. was the late '90s, other characters would talk with their hands a lot like <laughs> arguably too much well that's really all they could do exactly mm -hmm. uh, it's sort of like you know a, a silent movie where you had to do the intense makeup on a character's face to show them extra emoting because there was no dialogue mm -hmm. it's like that <laughs> so yes this i don't know i mean we're here to talk about the game certainly but i think a lot of it is just this is this has been such an enjoyable thing for us to for us to share, especially as we progressed our way through the series, and it became it went from being a single player series to a two player series. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that's something you were initially kind of nervous about, like when we were getting Ooh. to Resident Evil Five and Six and Revelations Two, right. and you were not just going to be like basically figuring out all the puzzles and telling me what blocks to push because I'm terrible at that or noticing the things I don't notice, but actually it's holding It's not a... that you're terrible at it, it's that I love doing it. Oh, okay, well that works, you know, teamwork. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you were at that point actually holding a controller. Yeah. So, you know, I played video games when I was younger, um, but it was mostly like 
Tetris and Dr. Mario uh, and like Mortal Kombat was like <laughs> kind of the most deep I got into any kind of gaming. Jump kick, uppercut, jump kick, uppercut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over and over. I don't remember any of those codes anymore. That's fine. Um, but yeah, so it was really intimidating to be like, oh God, I have to not only move around in like a 3D space, but I have to shoot things accurately this is going to be terrible (laughs) and of course like at first I got really sweaty and uncomfortable about it like I'm gonna fail like I'm gonna I'm gonna make this game really bad and like we're never gonna get through it and I'm gonna drag us down into the depths of like viral hell but (laughs) it got a lot easier as I got comfortable with the controllers and got to know the buttons um it's really so much more of a muscle memory thing than I realized at first Mm -hmm. um Skill building is a real thing. That's great. I love it. Yes. (laughs) But, you know, it's also good that we're taking a break right now because uh, I I don't want to have tennis elbow. (laughs) Right, right. And, you know. I don't have that muscle built up. (laughs) It's just a lifetime. It's just this big, like, my my entire, uh, my hands are just big calluses from the history of gaming. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, I sort of take that for granted that, uh, not, not everybody has that, just that physical history. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it was really fun to kind of build that dynamic of, I, at the risk of making it sound more important than it is, that aspect of our relationship of yeah. tackling, uh, an entirely arbitrary, pointless, fictional challenge together, <laughs> but nonetheless doing it together and like each figuring out our strengths and our weaknesses and the ways we could complement each other. Yeah. Uh, Like Anna in a third person shooter, like the resident evil series, you are astonishingly good with a shotgun. Like we would, we would find a shotgun in a resident evil game. And I'm like, okay, Anna, that's just waiting for you over there. I'm just going (laughs) to do other things. Cause man, I, I know who's going to be use that more effectively. Yeah. I like big booms. So that's fun. Legit. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I would be our sniper often. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think that's one of the really enjo- one of the things I really enjoy about multiplayer gaming of any sort, and this would include even tabletop games like, say, Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. I love that every player, every person, can choose a character that suits them. Yes, but also can sort of figure out where their individual strengths and weaknesses lay. Whether that's who gets the shotgun and who gets the sniper rifle in a Resident Evil game, <laughs> or who's going to talk to the NPCs and who's going to come up with the infiltration plan that will inevitably go awry in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Like, that really right there is one of my favorite parts of cooperative gaming, because it's a way to get to see different sides of the people that you enjoy spending time with or the people you care about. Again, even if it's arbitrary. Like, that's certainly been the case with me and Jay talking about X-Men. We've each kind of figured out what our roles in criticism and banter and stuff (laughs) like that are. And that's kind of the same with video games, I think. Mm -hmm. So... We've talked a lot in general terms about this series, about this series where various heavily armed goofballs with dumb voices fight zombies and then the world forgets about it. Uh-huh. So I feel like we should get a little more specific. And with this, you know, of course, a lot of our listeners are going to be unfamiliar with this series, which is totally fine. Mm-hmm. Maybe they would want to play it at some point. Maybe they're not <laughs> gamers at all. Yeah. Hint, there may be spoilers. Here uh, you are. <laughs> yes, here, here we are. Uh, spoilers. A lot of a lot of zombies' heads explode. Like, a lot. <laughs> But so I feel like let's talk about maybe the the eras of the series, because this is a series that has been going on for, I think at this point, over 25 years. Oh my gosh. And has like, what, around 15 games or something in it, depending on how you count? <laughs> Including all the phone games. There are there are some, some mobile games, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So, I don't know, for me, I guess there are a few errors of Resident Evil, and I'm curious, as somebody who's coming to the series later, if you feel Mm -hmm. the same way. So you have, like, your early games, where it's characters sort of gradually exploring a mansion, or a police station, or a weird island base. There's a lot more detective work involved at first. Uh, Exactly, yeah, and they're they're basically horror games. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, yes, there's some over-the-top action, certainly, Mm -hmm. but overall, they're... I don't know, for me, the more well-done ones are genuinely scary. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like, when we were going through um, the remake for 3, and you're wandering around, uh, like, Raccoon City as Jill, going through strange doorways, trying to find your way, like, through the maze of this, like, destructed place... It's there's so much dread involved in that of just like, okay, I know I have to go through this building and I know that there's a safe spot in that kitchen. But like, what is going to be in there this time? Right. Like what what new horror am I going to stumble upon in this dark, bloody place? Um, And I think it was uh, two. No. Yeah. Two with Leon and Mm -hmm. Claire um, where you're being followed by. Mr. X. Mr. X being this, like, gigantic, beefy bioweapon wearing a trench coat and a fedora, mm-hmm. which, as we have learned from comic books, means that he could be anyone <laughs> under there. We, we don't know. It's the ultimate disguise. Absolutely. He could be three small children stacked up with books in between them. You just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that, like, the constant threat of Mr. X following you, you could come upon him anytime and you have to get away from him um, and also deal with zombies around at any point in time and like frickin' liquors falling off the ceiling to... Anyway, we don't have to talk about liquors. Um, (laughs) But there's just so much more of that like scariness of, oh God, this could happen. Like he could be around any corner. He's this ever-present threat. Yeah, And that's definitely something the game has come back to again and again. Like, uh, Nemesis from Resident Evil 3, colon, Nemesis, is probably (laughs) the most well-known. You know, this big, again, big, beefy monster guy in a coat, in his case with a rocket launcher for an arm, as one does. Um, But yeah, that constantly being stalked feeling, that never being able to just take a break and breathe, except for in the occasional save room, which tend to be safe, but aren't always. Although, I felt like... We had three really built up in our minds that, like, Nemesis is going to be even scarier than Mr. X because he could show up at any time and he's so much more powerful. And Nemesis wasn't that scary. He was really only there in specific fights. Mm-hmm. And he kind of came in. You had to fight him a certain way. Then there were cutscenes, And then he was just gone. And you're like, cool, now I'm standing in, like, a statuary park. And he's just not here anymore because I blew him up with a truck. Awesome. I got to go. Um, who knows when I'll see him again. Hint, it's only at specific times. <laughs> right, yeah. And I think that's an important thing for horror games to remember is you can have the scariest scenes in the world, mm-hmm. but if they're non-interactive, if they're just sort of a cut scene that you watch, like you're watching a movie, mm-hmm. you're not as involved. You yourself do not feel threatened as a player the same way you would if, you know, that big scary thing was going on and you had to run away from it or you yeah. had to shoot at it or you had to save someone from it. And so, yeah, so that's, like, kind of the first era of Resident Evil. And then there was the middle era. (laughs) The middle era, which, as it went, developed enough explosions to make Michael Bay cry with joy and envy. And I think for a lot of people, 
this is where the series sort of went awry. Mm-hmm. Like, Resident Evil 4, which everyone loved, was the beginning of that, and then 5 and 6 just got more and more action movie. Yeah. Chris's and, arms just kept getting bigger. Uh, yes, Chris Redfield, his, his arms are just tree trunks. He, at one point, punches a boulder to death. It's it's a whole thing. In a volcano. In a volcano. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like if you were going to summarize the middle era of Resident Evil, Chris Redfield uh-huh. punching a boulder to death in the middle of a volcano after his helicopter crashed into it, like, that's, that's it right there. Yep, that is really peak. <laughs> and, you know, I can see how a lot of hardcore Resident Evil fans who had grown up with the early games, and certainly I grew up with the early games as well, uh, but they would be disappointed by the games changing. But I guess the way I've started to look at it, so people who have been listening to Explain the X-Men know that I love New Mutants. I love New Mutants so much. It was my favorite X-Men comic. And then I got really mad when it turned into X-Force and got Extreme <laughs> and Explodey. It, going through the podcast, going through X-Force, I've come to love X-Force. And similarly, I've come to love the middle era of Resident Evil, where things are just so dumb and so excessive <laughs> and so explodey. They're absolutely batshit. Yes. <laughs> and there's value in that, for sure. <laughs> oh, very much so, yeah. Like, there's... I don't know. So we've been watching some of the, the CG Resident Evil movies recently as well. There's a new show on Netflix called Resident Evil Infinite Darkness that is very much of that ilk. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually quite good, surprisingly. We just watched the first episode. But... There's just a unique joy to us sitting on the couch with a couple of beers and pointing at the screen. Uh, screen uh, we would normally edit that out, but this is Hawk Talk. Uh, pointing at the screen and just cackling maniacally as, like, you know, Leon has a motorcycle chase with a couple of zombie dogs and is driving the motorcycle with his feet and, like, cars are crashing into each other and exploding. And it's just so deliciously stupid. Like, how do these dogs run so fast? Like, they're keeping up with a fucking Ducati. Like, what is happening? What is happening is that it's awesome. I will often come back to quote one of my favorite quotes, which I said, so it's a little uh, narcissistic, perhaps. But mm-hmm. I think this was in the context of some aspect of X-Men, but it doesn't have to make sense if mm-hmm. it's awesome. Absolutely. And that's, like, the entire motto of that middle era of Resident <laughs> Evil, which is also where the uh, cooperative element starts coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Resident Evil 5, which is part of that era, is where you have the first two-player, and that's where you and I did our first two-player. Yeah. Oh, man, we had, a, we had a difficult start on that one. First of all, I was learning how to use the controller. Second of all, we didn't realize that the first big battle was one that you really just needed to get away from. <laughs> yeah, we kept throwing ourselves against that brick wall of zombies. and it, We just it, kept dying. It went poorly. <laughs> but to our credit, I feel like any healthy relationship has a number of trials by fire, uh-huh. and that is one. There was no, there was no bickering, there was no blaming, mm-hmm. there was just us dedicating ourselves to getting through that zombie horde to see what Chris Redfield's tree trunk arms mm-hmm. and Sheva Alomar actually being an amazing character, uh, w- and, where that would all go. And a great, like, acrobat. And too. a great acrobat. Yeah. No, she did a lot of uh, jumping on zombie shoulders and, mm-hmm. like, crunching their heads Yeah, with yeah, she legs. was great at flip jumps. Yeah. Amazing, yeah. Any action, movie, game, whatever, flipping around... <laughs> is vital. Like, <laughs> why would you run if you can jump? Why would you jump mm-hmm. if you can flip? Mm-hmm. Therefore, flip all the time. Absolutely. Uh, again, I feel like the parallels to uh, X-Force really are coming in here. More is more. 
explosions are always beneficial to the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more pouches, the better. That's also something Resident Evil and X-Force have in common. Yeah, you're always looking for more hip pouches. You need them. Yeah, absolutely. carry around, you know, herbs and rocket launchers, which mm-hmm. take up the same amount of space for yep. the most part. Yep. Well, in most games, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Not when you have to have, like, a briefcase, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah, keeping your rocket launchers in your briefcase <laughs> is a different story. Uh, there's a fair bit of suspension of disbelief when it comes to certain mechanics in this series. Don't forget about the trouts. That's true. In Resident <laughs> Evil 4, you can carry around giant goddamn fish to eat in the middle of zombie fights and restore your health. Uh-huh. They as... take up a lot of room. I mean, yeah, they're, they're so full of, of <laughs> healing potential. Uh-huh. They can ha- save you from any injury. Mm-hmm. Like, one giant bite of six-foot-long fish, which is the entire fish in one bite, <laughs> uh, doesn't matter how much you've been shot or blown up or bitten by zombies. The fish is the perfect cure. Absolutely. It's like that one time in X-Men when it turned out that Angel's blood could cure AIDS. <laughs> that was that was a story. Mm. I feel like, like, so I know, I know you, um... You don't listen to Explain the X-Men very much, which is, like, totally legit. Everyone's got their own podcasting style. But I feel like you get your own curated version of Explain the X-Men. I do. Just for me ranting about this stuff. Yes, I I mean, I I listen to you many hours a day talk about it, and it's wonderful. And I also get to listen when we, you do, like, previews of episodes while you're proofing and stuff. So it's it's there. It's here for me. (laughs) I have my own version. Exactly. (laughs) Which I I can only, man, I I can only imagine what that must be, that that curated. No, this is what X-Men's about. No, it's it's really just about... (laughs) Nightcrawler's dad being the devil and the Uh and inconsequential minor hellfire characters actually being the most important ones yes uh but we're getting off topic we don't want to talk about Mm x-men in this x-men podcast bonus episode (laughs) so yeah so that's the middle era of resident evil and i know i was certainly surprised at how much i enjoyed it and you seem to as well i think so yeah i was i had a lot of trouble with four um which is leon's kind of solo game and one of the most popular games in the series yeah yep um first of all it took leon from this character who interacted really well with claire in re2 and seemed like a cool rookie dude to being like oh leon is clearly a badass he's here to save the president's daughter he is rude to hunnigan who is like his secret service connection um and is generally just kind of a a dumbass um, with the way that he talks to people. Uh, he's quipping all the time, and the quipping is so bad. Why is it so bad? <laughs> it seemed like that game was really channeling uh, even more so, like old, I would say even more 80s action movies than 90s action movies. Yeah. Which unfortunately did bring with it some not amazing gender stuff. Like, not right. terrible, mind you, but not great. Yep. Yep. And actually, you know what? Let's let's talk about gender in Resident Evil because I feel like that's something we we have to do. Yeah. Um. Because I feel like I don't know. It, it seems to change over the course of the series. The it, series handling of it. It has. Yeah. It seems quite a bit. Well, we started off with like okay. At the beginning, you have two sort of teams. So you've got like Jill and Barry, and you mostly play as Jill. Uh, and then you've got like Chris and Rebecca, where which we didn't play that version, but where you mostly play as Chris. But so you have a lot of gender balance, mm-hmm. and then it's like. Claire and Leon, and uh, then we have mostly, of course, Jill and sometimes Carlos. So there's a lot of female representation, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic. And as you go forward, of course, there's like four with just Leon. You have Ada, but Ada's her own kind of badass, and she's also sort of evil so mm-hmm. it's, it's it's complicated but then as we go we lose a lot of those strong female characters and even when we have them they're not 
hypersexualized, but they're certainly there to like look pretty. Like um, Helena from Six has the most perfect hair. It's so freaking perfect. I don't even know what else to say about it. Um, but then I'm thinking of like Jessica from, um, was that Revelations? Yeah, Revelations 1. Ugh, Jessica. So Jessica has the coolest fashion. Like there's part of it where she is wearing this sort of like um, military Girl Scout outfit with like a beret uh, and a short skirt. As one does. And, you know, and she, like a, a really good blunt bob. So that looks really cool. But then later she is wearing a wetsuit that doesn't have any fabric on one of her legs and really high heels. Why? I mean, clearly she's coded as a villain, but it's so, uh, it looks cool as fuck, but it's also just like, Jessica, no. (laughs) Yeah. You're on a military mission. Like a zombie will clearly bite that leg. (laughs) She always uh, leads with her other leg. I think is the thing. She's like a fencer, you know, just always advancing on the, on the right or left or whichever it is. Uh huh. And her hair's only coming out one side of it too. So it's very, it's very odd. I mean, like you said, villain coded asymmetry. We cannot have that. No. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think what, what does it for me is that like, so the series goes in real time. Mm-hmm. Whenever a game comes out, that's when the game takes place, which means that the characters have aged, some of them, 25 years by this point. And I, in a series that likes recurring characters as much as Resident Evil, I think that gets weird gender-wise. Yeah. Because we still see Chris and Leon in most games. Mm-hmm. And they're getting older, and that's fine. I mean, they look great for their age, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, they're, I guess it's all that working out of, of stomping zombies' heads. <laughs> We don't see a lot of the female characters from the earlier game show up again, though. Like Jill Valentine, mm-hmm. arguably the most iconic character in the whole series. We haven't seen her in ages. And part of me wonders, is that just because men get to still be attractive and appealing as they age and women don't? I think that might kind of be it. It seems likely. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And, and well, Which is also extra sad because Jill gets uh she gets a viral infection right and and she's sort of like groomed for this stuff by wesker before he dies big villain and so you figure like oh clearly jill will be able to play in this game later because she's got like kick-ass superpowers now from this virus but she just disappears yeah just doesn't really show up anymore And that's sad to see here. Like, weirdly, we've been seeing a lot of that in the Final Fantasy series, another series we've played a decent bit of together. Like, used to be great about gender. Not at the very, very start, but Mm. for much of it. And then Final Fantasy XV from a couple years ago, all-male protagonists, barely any female characters at all. Sixteen, which is coming out soon, looks like it's going to be kind of similar. Mm. And it just seems so weird that we're regressing in terms of gender representation in so many major video game franchises. Mm -hmm. And it seems like with later Final Fantasy games, when you do have women who are powerful, they're and and involved in the storyline it's because they're mystical right like they have extra worldly powers and are are uh connected to the divine in some way which is cool but also they can be everyday people mm-hmm. um so wow need Tricky. more need more ladies with battle axes and morning stars that's mm-hmm. what i say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so 
where we are in the series, uh, we have played... I, I'm looking at our list here. Wait, we, <laughs> we made a list. We're both list makers. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 Resident Evil games uh, <laughs> during quarantine. Uh, uh, that's that's a thing that happened. And I guess slightly yep. before. We started slightly before quarantine. Did you count Village? Because we haven't played Village. We have not played the very newest one <laughs> with a uh, tall vampire lady that the internet is real, <laughs> real into. Vampire mommy. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess we're, we're getting um, a very clear view into a lot of people's fetishes. And you know what? I support that. Good on everybody. That's Absolutely. certainly not my individual relationship with Resident Evil. But you know what? We haven't played Village. Maybe it's going to awaken something. I'm. Who knows? Who can yeah. say? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're about the same height, so I don't know. I guess we can't really roleplay that too much. But <laughs> That's fine. We won't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's just fun though seeing a series that I love uh, be embraced by so many people. You know, that's something that has been fun to see recently with X Men, certainly in the current very well regarded Krakoa era. Uh, Final Fantasy, the other series we were talking about, has been getting bigger. It's just it's just nice to see more people enjoying the stuff that I have also enjoyed. And I know it's not everybody feels that way. Like, there's so much gatekeeping in nerd media, especially. Like, no, 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 this is my special thing. You can clearly not appreciate it as much as I, a scholar, can. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's unfortunate. I don't know. I just feel like if you like a thing, why wouldn't you want more people to like that thing? Yep. I don't know, man. I, I feel like people really should. They should just like those things for everybody. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, okay, we've talked a fair bit about the games. We, all right, you know what? We talked about the problems with gender. Mm -hmm. I feel like, as a socially conscious podcast, we probably should talk about the way some of these games handle race. Again, great series, but. Mm -hmm. Well, so that was another one of my problems with 4, is that you start off the game as this quippy version of Leon, who is killing sort of ambiguously European people. So, you know, they're, they're brown of some variety. Um, and that is sort of sticky. Um, and then as you go through it in the game, you find out that the people in power are more like, oh, okay, well, they're uh, possibly Italian or um, some other um, kind of related... Uh, situation with uh, what's it, Salazar? Salazar, yeah, and Lord Sadler. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely um, kind of weird that the sort of zombie type people you're going after are mm-hmm. all, for lack of a better way of putting it, coded as more ethnic, capital E ethnic, yes. than yes. any of the people in power, and certainly than your main character. Mm-hmm. And so you would expect, like, after that, the next game, they'd be like, oh, let's let's maybe be a little better about that. Mm-hmm. But then there was Resident Evil 5 yeah. in, you know, the, the nation of Africa, of yeah. general Africa. Yeah, where one of the characters, of course, is Chris Redfield, who is a very, very large uh, white man with a great heart. Mm-hmm. And the other one is a very light-skinned black woman. Right. And most of the, uh, many of the enemies, not not certainly all, uh, are darker-skinned black folks yes. um, who are speaking in a language you cannot understand with no subtitles. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, that could be worse. There are a, a, a couple of black protagonists, like you mentioned, Sheva, one of the playable characters is one. There's mm-hmm. also Josh Stone. But then you find out that apparently part of what this virus does 
is causes people to revert to their ancestral customs. Uh, and so all of a sudden you're fighting black characters in like stereotypical Hollywood African savage garb and some of them are dressed as witch doctors and they're throwing spears at you and it's just like, wait, wh- why? Yep. Game, of all the decisions you could have made, why did you make this decision? Yep. Um, And that is just, uh, I mean, it's a great game overall, but that is... That's a tough one right there. That's a that's a challenging aspect of it. And that's one where if people are like, no, nah, man, I, I just don't want to deal with that. I'm out. Like, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. And they also use it to sort of, sh- like, shoehorn in, oh, but this is where we found the progenitor virus. Like, this sort of uh, seat of the world in Africa is where we found this flower that these scientists, like, get all these viruses that they eventually engineer um, to become, like, the T-virant and the G- and the, or the T-virus and the G virus and all that. But it's just sort of weird to be like, what, why, why are we doing that? Like, mm-hmm. why does it have to be this progenitor? It's, yeah. It's very, very yucky. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like you could go in an interesting direction with that mm-hmm. to talk about like how, oh, all these colonialists have, you know, exploited stuff that already has existed for, for such a long time. Absolutely. But they, um, Resident Evil is not a series known for its uh, subtlety no. or its nuanced handling of basically anything. No. So it kind of drops the ball there. I don't even know if it picks the ball up to <laughs> have a chance to drop it (laughs) yeah i feel like it's a we're reading a kindness into it if we do that (laughs) (laughs) yes yes which i know certainly i'm I'm guilty of doing that Mm -hmm. arguably too much Mm -hmm. but i mean you know that's the thing this is a series that's been going on for 25 years and even for an entry like five that came out not even all that long ago like maybe a little over 10 years ago Mm -hmm. uh I feel like we as a society, if you're going to be monolithic about it, have gotten a lot better. And we kind of sucked about race back then. We suck about race now, too, but we sucked, yeah. like, more back then. Yeah. And I think that's that's a hard thing about going into any long-running franchise, any long-running story. Be it X-Men, be it Resident Evil, be it whatever. There's going to be a lot of stuff in the, from the earlier or even middle days of that franchise that's going to be pretty cringy. Yep, absolutely. And I'm trying to think, too, like... Later, um, when we get into uh, six, then we're dealing with uh, Chinese people. Yeah, it takes place in large part in in China. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that's a weird one because yeah. well, it, it's kind of like American people who are are twisting the strings and um, and the big corporations that are using China as a as a grounds to test stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there is a whole. Uh, political warfare thing going on in the background with that, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it aims high. It, it's uh, it's a series that is very very lofty in its ambitions, discussing geopolitical stuff. Mm-hmm. But mostly, I think it's just a series created by a bunch of people who really really want to see zombies' heads explode in yep. various ways, and yep. that I can respect and get behind. Yeah, and maybe they've made some missteps in how they wanted to present it, but it's whatever, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Yep. So. We've been talking for a while about the series and our experience with it, and our experience with it together. Um, if somebody were listening to the, this episode and was like, hey, I want to check Resident Evil out, this mm-hmm. like massive monstrosity of far too many games over far too long, <laughs> how does somebody dive into that? Like, As somebody who has uh, just essentially mainlined the series over the mm-hmm. last year and a half or so, where would you say somebody should jump in if they didn't want to, like, go through all of them? Ooh. 
Well, you know, because the way we started was actually to, well, for my experience with the way we started was to do seven first. Mm -hmm. And I feel like seven was really fun and it was a fantastic, disgusting game to play. Oh, right. Yeah, that's sort of like the the third era of Resident Evil Mm -hmm. we didn't get to is the more like grindhousey, gory, genuine horror era. Exceptional body horror. Yeah. Um, But I'm not sure it really gets to the core of uh, some of the stuff that I liked about Resident Evil. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like two is probably kind of the most uh, succinct version of that, where you've got the dread factor, you've got the gore factor, you've got um, all kinds of weird viral fuckery. Um, you have a lot of time spent with the architecture of Resident Evil, mm-hmm. like seeing all the different sort of uh, <laughs> versions of the mansion and whatnot. Um, but. I don't know. And so, and you also get that like balance with the gender play on it. Um, So yeah. And it has so much of the cool puzzles where you're like, why is there a pathway from the police station to like uh, where Irons is hiding things at, like to another mansion? Like, why is this underneath a giant statue inside of the police station? I don't fucking know, but (laughs) it's so cool that we get to find out all these little pieces about just, I don't know, the mythology of the game through that stuff. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And th- that is so satisfying, I agree. Just the, like, well, these puzzles are bizarre and make no sense, <laughs> except that they were apparently designed by people who themselves were bizarre. Why did people take these pieces of this, like, clay plate and hide them in different places, which have different puzzles that you have to solve? And why is one of them locked up in a coded box somewhere? I don't understand. Yep. But it's so satisfying <laughs> to unlock everything yeah, and yeah, yeah. fill out the map. And, you know, yeah, honestly, I would agree. Um, and I think one of the advantages, if somebody wanted to start with Resident Evil 2... Uh, is that they the game was remade just a few years ago mm-hmm. um, and feels very modern in the remake, still captures what made the original great. Yep. Uh, that is also, I would say, the game that the Netflix series, the four-episode Netflix series, Resident Evil Infinite Darkness that just came out, uh, is mostly based out of. So you're kind of covering both of your bases there. Mm. You can watch CG nonsense, and you can (laughs) play video game nonsense. Mm -hmm. You can enjoy Leon Scott Kennedy and Claire Redfield, two of my personal favorite protagonists, (laughs) and get genuinely scared out of your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That being said, I would say probably the game that had, for me, the spookiest feel was actually Revelations 2. We have to talk about Revelations 2. Yeah. Like, at the risk of going too much into detail about stuff that a lot of our listeners aren't going to care about, this is a game that <laughs> totally fell through the cracks. The, Re- the Revelation series came out during that second era when Resident Evil was getting more, like, Michael Bay Hollywood action-y. And the, Revelation- the, Re- uh, the Revelations games were kind <laughs> of um, throwbacks to the horror feel. And 2 is genuinely a good horror game and a good co-op horror game, which I feel like is rare. Mm-hmm. Like, you and I had so much fun being super scared and dying repeatedly, uh, uh, untwisting the campy yet genuinely scary plot of that game. (laughs) Well, and it was so different um, because, of course, we played it right after 5, which was the first co-op game where it was all shooty, shooty, badass all the time. And then with Revelations 2, you play two different types of characters. So uh, Miles played as Claire, and I played as Moira for the first part of the game. Moira is Barry Burton's daughter, who is the... Well, I mean, we love Barry, but Moira's the best character. She's kind of the best. <laughs> yeah. 
she's just this like snarky <laughs> older teenager young adult mm-hmm. who says fuck probably more times than anybody else in the series combined <laughs> she hits zombies with a crowbar she's wonderful mm-hmm. absolutely and she doesn't want to use a gun so she is more like shining her flashlight on things and it's not as though she isn't participating like she's not just a, a you know a character who is there to enrich the other character like she's got her own story that mm-hmm. she's going through um but so she's fucking cool that was super fun and then the other part of the game is like playing as barry again best dad mm-hmm. um and a little girl who is kind of a mystery and who fucking better come back in this series at some point because I have to know what's going on there. Natalia, yeah. Um, and she, all she does is like throw bricks and point at things. Well, because she can see invisible monsters uh-huh. and see them through walls. Yep. And yeah, I agree. That was really fun, that asymmetrical co-op. The mm-hmm. fact that like we each had such different tasks in the game mm-hmm. and we'd be fighting invisible monsters and you would be saying to me, sitting next to me on the couch, like, no, 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 aim your gun left. No, you're almost there. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, you get a dodge. Yeah. And it was just so, it, it felt even more like teamwork than both of us being assault rifle toting badasses. Yeah, yeah, because we we had to really work together to figure out where things were and how to handle them. And we could kind of go away from each other to explore a little bit, but you really needed to use each other's skills to accomplish things. Yeah. And I don't know, I mean, for me, I think that was one of my favorite parts of this entire project was just getting to both contribute to getting through one of these games (laughs) and just you know high five each other after a really hard boss battle Mm -hmm. like that's so much of what i love about media in general is sharing it with people and i think there's a unique kind of sharing that comes with cooperative multiplayer games you just can't get that anywhere else Mm -hmm. that type of of task-based collaboration Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's been fun. I mean, the um, the pandemic uh, has been and continues to be just awful, just terrible yep. for, you know, the world in, in large and small ways. But I feel like for us, one of the silver linings has been, A, finding out that, oh, no, it turns out we really do like spending all our time together. Well, <laughs> I mean, we were pretty sure, but now we're really sure. <laughs> And just getting to to share experiences like that. Like, you know, are we changing the world by playing through video games that tens of thousands of other people have played through? Well, no. But we're changing our world. We are. (laughs) We're really enjoying ourselves. We are deepening our relation. You know, the family that blasts zombies together Mm -hmm. stays together. Doesn't really rhyme the same way the original phrase does. No. We're not not quite as good as, as like, the Burtons at that, but... Barry and Moira, yeah. Yeah. But that's okay. That's fine. You know, honestly... <laughs> We're also not a father and daughter situation, so... That's really for the best, yeah. yeah. Uh, nor are we uh, trapped in horrible death traps full of the undead and assorted mutants, which <laughs> I'm grateful for every day. You know what? <laughs> COVID may be bad, but the T-Phobos virus? Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of way worse, really. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's good that... Uh, Barry and Moira and everybody were successful, and that one didn't make it to the general public. Yep. Man, we got to use so many rocket launchers in that game. We did, it's true. Yep. You know, honestly, before we close, I feel like we have to touch on the fact that we spent quarantine from COVID Mm -hmm. playing a series about horrible, horrible viruses infecting the world, Mm -hmm. which I guess is kind of weird when you think about it. Yeah. You know, another thing that is really good, neither of us are helicopter pilots. Right. Oh, you're right. Uh, okay, so I know I was saying we were just going to close, but what the hell is it with helicopter pilots in the Resident Evil series? I don't know. They all 
all die. Almost all of them. Almost all of them. (laughs) Yeah, I think the most prominent, in RE4, this random helicopter comes up to help you out and shoot a bunch of zombies who you're fighting. Uh, And it's this guy named Mike, and Mm -hmm. we never see Mike. We just hear him yelling uh, American things, essentially. He's just so, like, American gun guy. He's going to take you to his favorite bar. After this this is all over, and then he gets shot down. And Leon, the protagonist, who doesn't care about basically anything, just falls to his knees and yells, Mike! And it's so dramatic. And don't get me wrong, it's horrible when anybody dies in the world ever. Uh But, uh, dude, you've, you've known this guy for, like... 10 minutes at most. I mean, he did know a good bar, and now you are never going to know what that good bar is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and, and we just noticed after that, no, seriously, every time a helicopter shows up in Resident Evil, mm-hmm. that helicopter pilot is fucked. Yeah, they're all doomed. For a minute, I was I was reading through some things earlier going, well, you know, the helicopter pilot from the first Resident Evil game who rescues you, he doesn't die, and then Miles pointed out that no, actually, he does die in the beginning of the next game. In, in the beginning of RE3. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, listen, Listeners, if you take nothing away from this episode, <laughs> if you're ever in the Resident Evil universe, just don't be a helicopter pilot. I'm not going to say you'll be fine if you're not, but if you are, you definitely will not be fine. Unless you're Ada Wong, and then it's fine. Uh, that's true. No, she can get away with everything. Our, <laughs> our favorite super spy uh, who weaves her way in and out of the series, Ada Wong. <laughs> so I feel like we we covered all the important stuff about our, uh, our quarantine-long journey through this incredibly cheesy, gloriously enjoyable series. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we close out? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, there were probably some things that we could have, uh, could have touched on here and there as far as, like, Wesker being a weird Matrix guy, but, like, you know, it's fine. He can, he can have that. That's true. I mean, yeah. he, he died in that one volcano where Chris punched the boulder anyway, so. Yep. It's good. <laughs> it's really good. So, uh, <laughs> yes, listeners, thank you for joining us. I, like I said, I understand that, um, the Resident Evil series of video games are probably not the jam of most of our listeners, but, uh, if you stuck around this long, I hope you have found this enjoyable. And Anna, thank you again for being on the podcast. It's really fun sitting down with you in this makeshift bedroom studio <laughs> after talking about doing it for so very long. You're so very welcome, my dear. Yay. Uh, all right. So, um, Normally, we, whenever there's a guest on the show, we ask where people can find them online. Is there anything you want to promote there yourself? No, not really. I am barely on the internet. That's legit. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm off in the trees somewhere. It's mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, if you're ever in the trees, listeners, or, um, you know, once conventions are starting to be a thing again, uh, usually Anne is there with us as well. So you can, yep. you can come say hi. She's the person who will probably still have green hair. Yep. Or be in some kind of cosplay with a weird wig. Most likely. Yep. Green hair under the wig, I guess. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been Hawk Talk on Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. We will be back next week with more actual X-Men. Uh, and Jay will return as well. But thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and uh, yeah, stay, stay out of helicopters. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye.